And I want to look at a, a topic. I've thought about this a lot in recent years, but never really uh, delved into it. Like, I just kind of want to work on it right now. And the, the title of the lesson tonight is, uh, we want to talk about ministries for the, for the elderly. Or, what to do when you're old and gray-headed. That's an interesting study title. And that's an interesting way to think about it. But I want you to hear what the psalmist said in Psalm 71. Psalm 71, look at verses 17 and 18. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. How many of you like that verse there? Yeah, I, th I think that's an important verse, especially in light of the fact we live in a region where so many of the, so much of the population is elderly. They talk about it all the time. We're constantly reminded about it. I see it when I go into the schools. I can look at the, the uh, playground area, and just in the last 20-some years that I've been here, just see the diminishing numbers of kids that are out at recess. But we need to understand that even though we're growing old, that nothing diminishes in the presence of God. And that God has ministries for you and God has ministries for me. And just because we grow older, that doesn't mean that things have to change. You may have to reorganize, but that doesn't mean God is putting you into shutdown mode. Now, when I was a, a teenager and a, a preacher, everywhere I went, I was always the youngest minister. All the time. If I was on staff in any church, I was always called the baby. And so I spent a lot of time with older people in the church, and I spent a lot of time with older preachers. In doing so, this is how I learned a lot about ministry and about how things ought to function and operate in a church. But when I was 19 and I was in a church down in Jacksonville, North Carolina, I taught the adult Sunday school, and one of our other adult Sunday school teachers was in his mid-80s. And I think I've told you before the story one time where I was up teaching, and then I was calling on different people to read, and I asked this one elderly gentleman to read, and he never did respond. And I asked him again, he never did respond. And then later on afterwards, I learned he never learned how to read and write. And so these older folks, they kind of schooled me on a, a lot of different things with respect to being a young minister and being involved with churches and holding revivals and things like that. But I had always been around older people in the churches that taught. I mean, this may come as a surprise to you, but as a teenager in our church in Cleveland, Ohio, our youth director was in her 50s. See? Well... When, when, when you think of the scripture, we, we want to remember that, that God uses older people to mentor the next generation. 
In fact, there's a scripture in the Bible that says it's a curse for a nation when the young people rule. Now, that's something a lot of people don't ever consider because so much of what we see today is catered toward young people, catered toward the desires of what younger people want, whether it's praise and worship or anything like that. But it wasn't till I came to Nebraska that I started running into older people who didn't want to do anything for God other than get old and die. Just kind of sit around and say, oh my goodness, you know, I did my time with the youth or I did my time doing this as if it's a prison sentence, you see. But let's remember biblically, not culturally, and not from whatever your church background is, but biblically, God spoke to Abraham and Sarah when they were in their 70s and older. God spoke to Moses when he was 80 years of age, and he and his wife went down and delivered Israel. Let's not forget that Caleb was 80 when he was still saying, let's go take some mountains and fight some giants. Joash had a caretaker over him as a little five, six, seven-year-old boy, and this priest lived to be 130 years of age. Joshua, Joshua was over 100 when he was dividing the land, and he was still giving commands to people. So all of these things are in Scripture as examples for us. And I want us now to go to Genesis 49 because I want you to see some things that all of us are going to have to live in and do as the Lord brings older years to us. Let's not forget what the psalmist said. You taught me from my youth, but now I'm old and gray-headed. Don't let me leave until I've showed your strength unto the next generation. That means you have learned some things, you have seen some things, you have heard some things that your children, your grandchildren need to know. And your prayer should be, God, don't let me leave this planet until I can pour into them the testimonies of my life. So I'm saying this to emphasize that your children and grandchildren should know how you became a Christian. They should know the circumstances that led you to come to Christ. Your grandchildren should know how it is that you came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit or why it is that you believe the scripture teaches divine healing. These things should be told and retold more often than we boast about how good our son or grandson is at tennis, soccer, or football. And you know when people get together for the family reunions, they love to pull out the old trophies and let everybody know how great their kid was. I know they do it because they do it when I show up at their houses. And one trophy after another is paraded out there in front of me, and I'm looking at this. I'm like, wow, that's, that's wonderful. Then they pull a video out, and they say, you got to see this. He ran 275 yards in this game. I'm looking at that. But the whole time I'm thinking, is this kid born again? Is this kid born again? And do we take time to intercede for this particular child? Now, in Genesis 49, notice what it says in verse number one. This is Jacob. He's in old age now. And it says, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, Jacob was not an ordained preacher. 
And Jacob was not someone who was a traveling evangelist preaching in tents. But he was a patriarch and a dad over his family. And he had some insight. We could even say foresight regarding what he thought was going to come to pass with his children. Now he knew them by nature. He knew them by name, of course. And many times their name reflects their nature as he goes through this with the prophecy. But I only want to emphasize two things to you. And the first is this. Because you have already lived and experienced life, you can share with the coming generation what they're going to face. Because you've already experienced it. You've seen some of the challenges that they're going to deal with. So you should make sure that you are pouring into that next generation what it is that you've learned. So that their last days will be different than how you had to face the last days of your life. And then the second thing I would add with that is just like Jacob did, as it says in Hebrews 11, leaning on his staff in old age, he worshiped God. Even in old age, you can worship the Lord and you can still bless your seed. When you get those grandkids in your hands, pray blessings over them. And, and don't, don't spend your time just worrying and fretting and, and being filled with anxiety, but pray blessings over them. This is what Jacob did. And that's a ministry. You can use your life to be a positive influence in a scriptural way, or you can waste your time. And it's important not to waste your time. You've got one shot at, at being a blessing to those in your family. And you've got one shot at resisting the devil and living for God before we all go to heaven. And once that's, once that's done and we're on the other side, we can't come back and get a redo. There's no do-over. So Jacob here has his children. And with foresight, he knows what's going to take place. And he tells each one of them that. Another way you can do it is this way. Since you know your, your family members, everybody uh, uh, closely, and you watch them closely, I should say, you can tell what flaws they have. You know who's a leader, who's a follower. You know their strengths. And you can speak to them about those strengths in order to prepare them for the future that they're going to have. In this current world that we live in right now, kids aren't, you know, basically permitted to hear the word no and, and they don't get a chance to hear anything that's negative. And so any kind of statement that opposes what they're doing, how they're living, or what they're saying will be construed as bullying or shaming. But if you're going to produce a generation that's going to last and make it through the end times, somebody's got to teach them that the devil is not going to smile at you every day. But we've got to resist the devil, as the Bible says, and the scripture says he will flee from us. Is that correct? But if we don't res resist him, he comes and walks right into our lives, and he walks over us. Turn to Exodus 33, and let me show you something from the second book of the Bible. This gentleman is named Moses, and we're going to look at a number of scriptures. But Exodus 33, notice verse 18, he said to the Lord, Show me your glory. That's what Moses said. Lord, give me a glimpse of your glory. Now, he was interested in that because he knew that the presence of God was strong and the presence of God was powerful. And he said, Lord, if I found grace in your sight, let me see what other people do not see. 
Well, let's go over now to Deuteronomy 31. That's the fourth book of the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 31, I want us to look at verses 2 through 8. And I'll read these slowly. Deuteronomy 31, verses 2 through 8. And he said to them, I am 120 years old this day. That's, he's pretty aged. You know, and he said, I can't go out or come in. So he said, my mobility is restricted. Also, the Lord has said to me, you are not going over this Jordan. The Lord, your God, he will go over before you. So what is he doing now? He's exhorting all of the people and he's encouraging them that what God has done in my life and through me, he's going to continue to do for you. And then he says to Joshua in verse 7, you be strong and of a good courage. So even in your old age, you can still say these things to other people. That is, use your mouth to be an encouragement regarding how, how strong and how powerful God is than just whining. See? Use your speech to empower people in God, to let them know you can do it. And God will be with you if you serve him. You have a covenant with God, and if God is for you, who can be against you? Be strong and of a good courage, and fear not. Our next generation needs to hear this. Don't be afraid. Because this is a culture of fear right now. Afraid of the pandemic. Afraid of people kidnapping somebody's child. Afraid of murder. Afraid of rape. Afraid of this. Afraid of that. Afraid to go out of the house. If you sneeze on somebody, people get nervous. And we need to be able to tell people, be strong and of a good courage. Somebody's got to lead the next generation and God's looking for people that, that can do that. So that's where you come in. You know, you, you have influence in those areas of your life where I don't have influence. And you have influence over people in your family where their friends don't have that kind of influence. So what are you going to do with it? Do you squander it or do you take advantage of it? The fact that pe the people closest to you will come to you with their problems and talk to you about the issues of their heart tells you that they respect you. And anyone who respects you will listen to you. Otherwise, they wouldn't talk to you. But anyone you don't respect or you don't trust, they're never going to influence you anyhow. I, I, hold on for a second. We do the questions at the end. I told you before that when it, when it comes to a, a, a preacher, if a preacher loses the respect of the people in the church, he can no longer pastor those people in that church because they won't listen to him. And not, they're not interested in hearing what, what he, he or she has to say. Now, he can keep showing up and keep preaching and the people can keep coming. But there's no way on this earth anybody's ever going to influence anybody's life. And, and nobody's going to make any adjustments to anything like that. So when, when Joshua is hearing from Moses, he's learning from this man of God. That if God did what he did through Moses, and Moses is not telling me he's going to do that with me, then I have every right to expect and believe that that same God is going to operate, operate for me. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel. Let me show you this gentleman here. And I want you to see something about his youth and then also 
as he got older. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3, and let's pay attention to the last three verses of that chapter. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and didn't let none of his words fall to the ground. That's what the Bible says. And then the final sentence of verse 20 says that everybody knew that he was established to be a prophet of God. And what's a prophet? In some ways, a preacher. Certainly someone who is used by God to declare the mind of God regarding the future. Somebody who's used in the ministry of prophecy. Later in 1 Samuel 19, it tells us that he had around him some students that were prophets in chapter 19, verse 20. And it says that this company of prophets were around him and the spirit of the Lord was there. So whatever was in Samuel, he tried to communicate that to the people that were with him. This is why people have Bible schools. This is why individuals have Bible studies. To take what they have learned from the word of God and then to transmit that and to put that into the hearts of other people. Because if what you know is worth knowing, then other people ought to know what it is that you know. And if, if Samuel has a gift of prophecy and other people feel a similar calling, they'll be drawn to that. And uh, the, the Bible schools that we see around the world that were started by one person and built around a personality, typically people who go to those Bible schools go there to acquire some knowledge regarding that particular gift. If a man was a teacher, then when people go to that school, they feel a calling to be a teacher, and they want to learn that. When we were in Baton Rouge before we came here, and I was down at Jimmy Swaggart's, the bulk of the people who come to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College were folks who had ambition to be an evangelist. And they wanted to learn how to do that. Well, if somebody feels a call into a prof be a prophet, then you find that a lot of people will come and they'll try to join in with that kind of ministry also. Now, I realize every Pentecostal denomination has their own schools. AG has their schools. Church of God has their school. Pentecostal Church of God has their schools. But most of these schools today are just like going to Hastings College. You can go there, study to be a nurse, just like you can go there and study to be a school teacher. But there's not always an impartation of holy living and deeper truths of the word of God. So people go out of their way to find someone like a Samuel where they can sit and receive what it is that they're, they're wanting to learn. And the same can be said with Elijah. Elijah started prophesying at a period in his life when he was older. He, his ministry of prophecy in the Bible lasted at least three decades. The last ten years of his life, he had Elisha with him. And so this man traveled with him. He watched Elisha as he did one miracle after another. And, and let's not forget that there was the occasion where he's walking with him and he took the mantle, hit the waters, the waters split just like the Red Sea did for Moses. Elisha saw that. So when the chariot came and got Elijah and took him off to heaven, then Elisha stands there and he looks 
at, at the chariot that's now gone. He sees the mantle, picks it up, throws it on himself. He goes back to the river, and he shouts, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, I can tell you where he is. He's looking for an Elijah of God. That's what he's looking for. So all of us then who know something about God, if you find people who are interested in hanging out with you and learning about God and wanting to be discipled and be mentored, pour into them. Because if you don't, you're going you're gonna to lose that vessel. And if you don't pour into that vessel, I can promise you the devil's going to find somebody who will. And, and, and that's, that, that's certainly what we're seeing in today's world today. A, a whole lot of people who have abandoned the idea of a personal relationship. Paul says to, to Titus, ladies in the church, be an example to the young ladies, aged men. Be an example to the, the older, or excuse me, to the younger men. But we should be the same way, you know. I, I think if, if someone comes here and then let's say somebody wanted to, uh, gave their heart to the Lord, and then we, we said, okay, well, we, we'd like somebody to spend some time with you and uh, teach you a little bit and share with you the things of God. There's some of you been in church all of your life, and if I asked you to do it, you'd just sit back and say, no, I just don't feel like I'm qualified or I just don't want to do it. That's, that's exactly what you would say. But yet here's somebody that would be hungry for, for God, but no one would want to take the time to minister to him. It would be like having a baby that's born and then left on the street corner, and then everybody's saying, I just think the child ought to learn how to take care of itself. But somebody should be willing to pour into these folks. And when someone has that desire, that's when ministry is born. That's when ministry is born. We, we have, um, sometimes we, we, we see this. I've got, I've got a couple in, a, in another uh, church. There's 75. That's all they ever wanted to do was teach a young believers class. So now they teach a young believers class. 75 years of age. When I go to uh, preach for some of my uh, friends and go into their different churches, a lot of times I'll ask questions like this. I'll say, well, what does this elder do? What does this deacon do? What does this person do? And then there's just a long list of what individuals do. Well, the, 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 the idea is if the Lord lays a burden on someone's heart, then fulfill that burden. If the attitude is, which typically has been the attitude out here in this region, that's what he's paid to do. If that's the attitude, then you never get anything done. And getting nothing done may be fine for some people, but over a period of time and through the years, eventually when we start asking questions, how come this isn't happening, how come God isn't doing this, at some point we have to look in the mirror because it's not about somebody else, you see. So Elijah poured into Elisha, Samuel poured into those that were around him. But let's go to Psalm 78 now. I want to show you this, this song of a gentleman by the name of Asaph. Psalm 78. Okay, so we're talking about what to do when you're getting older or when you've gotten older. Psalm 78. I oftentimes use these verses when we have our church anniversary, and I tell the history of Revival Tabernacle. Psalm 78, 
Notice what it says in verse 1. It tells everybody to listen, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And then it says, I'll open my mouth and I'll utter dark sayings or mysterious things which I've heard or we've heard from our fathers. Verse 4, we won't hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Now, this is one of the reasons each year I try to tell our story as a church, because I don't think there's anybody that can listen and hear the story of our church and not see the hand of God in it. But that's corporately. But individually though, if, if you think of your own life and what God has done, you shouldn't keep those stories and testimonies to yourself either. And if, and if you've ever been healed, you need to tell it. If God's ever answered a prayer, you need to tell it and tell it I don't care if you've got to redirect the conversation and somebody's talking about the Huskers or somebody's talking about something else. Just change and say, right, look, I, I, I've got to change the subject. I want to tell you a story. Let me tell you something that happened with your grandfather. Or let me tell you something that happened with me when I was a child. And just begin to talk about the things of God. Now, they may not want to hear it, but they still need to hear it. And you can't tell me that the children of Israel wanted to hear these stories over and over again. But somebody kept telling them. Somebody kept telling, and, and through the years, I've seen it here, and in the other churches, some testimonies, I've, I've told so many times that the kids would come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor, you know you forgot to mention this part. <laughs> yeah, you forgot to mention. What about that part, see? And, and it's, it's not that I don't realize or, you know, remember that it happened. It's, I may have been trying to emphasize something else in the, in the story. But the reason we tell the stories is verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. So, so one day some of you in here won't be here. One day I won't be here. Somewhere Abigail will be on planet Earth. But she still should know some stories and testimonies of people in here about some of the things that God has done so that she can transmit them to the brood of 20 kids that she's going to have one day. <laughs> Same thing with all the other kids that are, that are part, of the, part of the fellowship. So they should hear about the power of God. They should know about that time you were driving down that icy road and all of a sudden you hit that black ice and your car went to spinning. You cried out to God in the name of Jesus as loud as you could and then suddenly you realize the car has stopped and you're safe and sound. They need to hear that. If you had a dream of an angel coming to you, they need to hear that. They should know that. If you ever went to sleep and had a dream of something about something coming to pass, and then within a week or something, it came to pass just like you saw it. People should know about it. If you don't testify, how is anybody ever, ever going to know about it? Verse 7 says that these people might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So all over this earth, we've got people who don't even believe anymore in the wonderful works of God, and, and all of these stories in the Bible for them are just mere history. 
But I, I want you to understand that, that this is life, this is reality, this is resurrection, and this is not about us just telling stories. This is about us trying to live daily what the children of Israel lived every day of their lives. The God who worked for them is the God who will work for us. Amen? There's no doubt about it. No, no doubt about it. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. Let me show you an older lady who basically lived in the temple by the name of Anna. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Verse 37. Speaking of Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, it says she was of great age. In verse 37, she was a widow of about 84 years. And she departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings, prayers, night and day. Here was a lady that in her old age was turning down nourishment and sustenance and fasting. You don't run into a whole lot of older people to do that. But, but that's what she did. She gave herself continually to prayer. That's a ministry anybody can do. It's a ministry we're all obligated to do. But it's certainly something you can do. You say, how, how do I do that? How do I make time to pray? Turn the TV off. Yeah, turn it off. Just lock it up in the garage or something. And just spend time talking, talking to the king. And, and the, the time that you would give to this, the time that you would give to that, give it to the king. Yeah. My early, early years out here, I used to go to um, over the highs. Five o'clock in the morning, I had this super long list of names. I, th I thought everybody's name in Red Cloud was in that book because it was over five or 600 names, and he had names written down and, and next to these little annotations, and one time he had the names of all these people who had attended an, a revival 30 years ago, and they were all still right there, and every morning we, he's up praying for them, and here I am showing up there early in the morning, and then we'd pray for about 30 minutes or so and then sit there and talk about the Lord a little bit, then drink, drink a little coffee. Well, if, if, if Anna could give herself to prayer, then other people can. I, I have a pastor friend who told me, he said, once I retire from my job, I am going to attend ministers' meetings and get to know folks, other preachers. He said, I'm going to go to other church revivals and, and uh, kind of get, get myself known by these people. He said, I'm going to even just spend a lot of time in the church praying. And, and so he went on and he retired. And I was talking to him. I said, well, what did you do today? Then he told me. And I said, what did you do yesterday? Then he told me, and then I'd go out and visit, and then I'm seeing the, the daily schedule, and I mean, it's been years now. He doesn't do anything that he said he was going to do when he was working 50 hours a week. He's got all the time in the world now. You say, what does he do? Camp out and watch science fiction on television. Well, if you're going to do that, you're not going to have much to say when you get in this pulpit. And whatever you do have to say is going to be stale. See, there won't be any touch of God on it. There won't be any anointing of the Lord that will be on it. So at some point, a, a person has to begin to think, if, if I really want God to move, I have to make time for him. That's important. And we're, we're busy enough to where sometimes I wonder, 
However, going to have time to do this to do that. But you know, through the years, we we we've still tried to uh, try to sneak away and go to Hebron for a day, just to do a lock in and do nothing but just read and study there. I don't leave the apartment; just stay right there, and and don't have to go out. And when people need to see me, if they want to call or if they want to come by, if they see the car, they can do that. But but typically, it's just me and the Lord. And sometimes I go down to Hayes and, and do that. And even here, sometimes I just try to, try to spend a little time with the king early in the morning or late at night or during the day. I always got a book, a Bible, or something in my hand that I'm trying to read on, meditate on, thinking about, thinking about God. But if we don't make time for the king, folks, how are we ever going to be able to have a devoted life to the Lord? I've thought plenty of times if God can't get me to spend time with him, why would he wake somebody up on a Sunday morning to come out here and listen to me? See, if, if, if I'm not obedient to listen to him, then why would anybody want to come out and listen to somebody like me? But if a person finds a bush that's on fire, then they want to hear the voice of God that comes out of that. But if, but if there are voices, but there's no bush that's burning, then people just hear all kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's important and it's imperative for you to ensure that you have time with the Lord. That's important. It's good for the, the, the vitality of the church, for the spirit of the church, for the ministry of the church, for your own ministry to be able to take time and to pray, to seek God. To, if, if you don't like, uh, you know, doing a whole lot of reading, ask God to give you a heart to read, a mind to read. So that you want to read the things of God and look into the scripture. Let me give you just, just one more here. Uh, go over to Acts chapter 16. And this is the Apostle Paul. And I, I want you to see how he gets a young man in verse 3 by the name of Timothy. That, that's who he wants. He's mentioned in verse 1. But verse 3 is when he wants to take him with him. And, and he's showing Timothy how to do ministry and we know that from the, the epistles first and second Timothy but in Acts chapter 16 notice verse number two speaking of Timothy he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium and this man Paul would have to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews so Timothy had a good testimony that testimony led to the open door where Paul wanted to take him and be with him. And I, I think if somebody finds us uh, worthy of ministry, then people will want us around, you know. And it's, it's the same way as a, as a Christian. If people enjoy being around you and feel like your Christian life is, is exemplary and, and is a model, then they'll, they'll want to take it as a model. Our marriages... See, our life, whatever it is that we're doing. But I don't want you to ever believe that God has counted anyone out because they're older. Now, the, the modern church sets them aside quickly. I mean, just as, as fast as the hair starts turning white and gray, then they start setting them off to the side. I sat with a group of ministers one time. And the, and the preacher, he, he was talking about how he grew his church. And so I said, well, well they were all asking him questions. And, and he said, well, first thing I did, he said, I took a poll. I took a poll of all the people in my church. And I said, what do you think this church represents? 
And then he, he did his little poll, and then he said, well, everybody turned in their sheets of paper, and he said he looked at that, and, and he thought to himself, well, what they wrote on the paper, that's what, that's what the church represents. And so they, they, they said, well, when we look at you folks up there singing, he said there were some older people up there singing, so he said need to get rid of all, all of those. So he had all these older people who would get up there and they kind of be nicely dressed and stuff like that and they would get up and lead praise and worship a lot of them were old choruses from the 70s and 80s but it was a church of about seven or eight hundred people and, and he figured he'd better make a change because he said the church was starting to look like him and he was about 65 so he made the change he put a bunch of young people up there and and, and so pretty soon now he's got people up there on the platform some of them barely have have enough clothes on. Yeah, I mean, literally, I'm saying, they, some of you let your grandchildren will have more, more clothes on going to bed than some had on that platform, you know. And so they're, they're going through all of this, and he's, he's telling, of course, I'm just listening and shaking my head, just like, oh my goodness. And, and, and I'm thinking, why in the world are you going to pastor a church on the basis of a pole? But, but when it's all over, and he was trying to encourage some of us to go down that same direction, I couldn't help but think, what is the church like now that he pastored? So I asked the question. He said, now I got a church with about 70% young people. And I asked, then I asked a further question. I said, well, what happened to a lot of your older crowd? He said, some of the ones that have been with me for 30 years, they all left. Okay, so all the people who were faithful, all the people who were tithers, all the people who had, you know, shown fidelity to the vision and to the ministry, he ran them off for a crowd of younger people who don't tithe, who are not in a position to have the wisdom to be a, a blessing. And so I had to listen to all of these other problems that he was dealing with at this time. So my point is this, why not learn how to blend and combine the two? Why do you have to have the one over the other? So that people will be able to worship God and still feel comfortable in their relationship with God. Now, I'm at that age now where I'm kind of in the middle, you know. But, but even when I was younger, I was always an old man in a young man's body. That's just the way... Hey, hey, you've been watching back there. That, that's just the way that I was, always a young old man in a young man's body. But, but now when I'm going to preach at different places and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that and I'm just wondering, when are we ever going to come back to the book? Because now we have a whole segment of the church that is isolated and feel like they're worthless and useless because they've heard for decades it's no longer about you now once your hair starts turning colors. What did the psalmist say? Lord, don't forsake me when I'm old and gray-headed until I've shown your strength to the generation. See? There's something you can do. You can always lay hands on people and pray. When we have folks down here in the altar, you can always be a blessing to people. You can seek the, seek the face of God. You can call people on the telephone. Some people need a word of encouragement. They're waiting on somebody like, like you. You can visit people. You can go see the folks that are sick and shut in. You don't have to wait on somebody else. 
You say, well, I, I don't like to get out of the house. Get out of the house anyhow. Break out of your comfort zone. And, and do something that's going to get you to talking about God, talking about the gospel, fellowshipping with people. Because people are God's number one priority. This is why Jesus came into the, into the world to die. And then also little things, you know, I've never been one to get too involved with a whole lot of community functions and stuff like that, even though through the years I've been invited to be on this, be on this, come join this, get involved with that. You know, I've always thought that's, that's more of a, of a thing for folks in the church to do, you know, a lot more community engagement in the sense that if I go out and get on some board, then now I, as the pastor, I start making a whole bunch of people mad. And so now they're not interested in coming to a church or hearing what I have to say at all because I'm arguing with somebody about a hospital or a bank or something like that. It really doesn't, you know, make a, a bit of difference to me at all. So there's no sense in me getting involved with, with something like that. The handful of times that, that I've gone to public community events haven't always turned out the best way. Because I just don't have time for a whole lot of foolishness. And I'm not the kind of person to just sit there and listen to people give their liberal spiel on life. And then I've got to sit there and just act like what they're saying is scriptural. I'm thinking somebody's got to speak up for God. Somebody's got to open their mouth for Jesus. And, and, so, and so I have a tendency to, to, to do that. <laughs> you know, I have a tendency to do that. You know, you, you can do little things like invite folks to your house for coffee, invite people over dinner, fellowship. The only way to get to know people is by getting to know them. You can't get to know anybody. You don't take the time to try to get to know them. But once, once you spend time doing that, then that opens up a world of opportunities. I'm talking about what you can do when your hair starts changing color. And what we can do when we're young, middle-aged, or old, and loving people, reaching people, and blessing people. Now, if, if, if you listen to all of that and you, you still come to the conclusion that I just don't like doing things like that, then don't complain about what you don't see happening in a church. We are all part of a problem, but we are all also part of a solution. And we don't ever present problems without solutions. And if, if, if God has provided the template in the scripture, then he demonstrates for us that we can get it done with him. It just takes somebody. Every town in the heartland is one person away from a move of God. One person. Doesn't take two. One person. In every family, there is always one person who's a key to revival. And if, and if God can move that one, can touch a whole lot of people. I, I know it's the, the truth because I go all the way back to the beginning when we started the church here. And I remember one, one day over here when we were still in the community center, I think Hyde told me he counted 19 folks in his family that were sitting in surf. 19, he counted. And I still remember, I thought about this when I saw Steve uh, the other day. I still remember the day Steve first came to Red Cloud to hear me preach on a Sunday. He couldn't believe his grandpa was out there, had a pastor that was black. He said, it's not possible. 
He said, it's not true. It can't be. And he came out and he sat there. And as I was preaching, he was sitting there on that chair. And I remember the whole time he was leaning over, kind of had his hands on the knee. He was doing just like this. Shaking his head. Just can't be. Well, I didn't know anything about how it's passed, but I do know one thing. If, if you can change a person's life for the better in a certain way, it can affect a whole lot of other people positively. And if you think of how influential you are in your own family, you'd be surprised at how many blessings have come to your family because you took a stand and decided to serve God. I've been here long enough to know a lot of the stories and see a lot of the changes and see the blessings that have come in families. But let me have a word of prayer and then we'll take questions and comments and talk a little bit more. Father, your word is true. And there is no doubt that every one of us in here are miracles and trophies of your grace. I pray that you would use each one of us to be a candle to touch the hearts and lives of other people. Help us to set them on fire. Let our witness be strong. And Father, I pray that none of our older folks ever feel like they've been cast aside or are not useful to God. Let their latter days be greater than their former. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.